Well, good morning. So glad that you're here with us on our annual men's weekend. Hope uh, I know many of you were here last night, I saw. And it was kind of funny because there were a lot of guys who ate way too much and then tried to act way too young. And uh, there were a couple guys in particular I saw, and I won't mention them by name because it would be horribly embarrassing. But they're younger guys. These guys are around 30 or whatever. And they ate a bunch, and then they played some octoball, and then they played some nine square in the air, and then they played some dodgeball. And they're the last guys here. I saw them. They're going to play a game ping pong against each other. They got to about five, and they quit. They're done. And they walked out, and they said, no way you're seeing me tomorrow. <laughs> and the great thing is I saw both of them here already. They're here for the 9 o'clock service because they're excited about coming and worshiping together and also getting to hear from Dean Jaderson, who's our speaker. Hope you get the chance to meet Dean. Maybe you met him last night or between services. Dean's the head basketball coach at Sterling College near Kansas City, and he's been a youth pastor before for many, many years. He and his wife, Julie, have been married 23 years. Have three almost adult children, real close to being all adult children, uh, one getting ready to graduate high school. But the, the connection we have with Dean is that he serves as the exec- executive director of Northern Pines Family Camp. It's a Christian camp. And our friend Scott Roth has been going, taking his family for years, and he's taken many other couples here from the chapel. And they go for a week and vacation and hang out together as a family and hear from some quality speakers and really get the chance to worship together. And so Scott really took the charge in inviting Dean because Dean has such a huge heart for families and for men to be the godly men and fulfill the roles that God has for them. And so he's come this weekend, got to share with us last night in a couple sessions today. So we're so excited to have him. If you would, please welcome Dean Jaderston. Thank you. Good to be with you again this morning. I was telling somebody we have a uh, almost a 15-year-old black lab who is getting kind of cranky and cantankerous in his old age. And uh, one of the adventures is sleeping at night. He's got arthritis and he tends to wake up a lot and want in and then out and, and then back outside and then back in our room. And, and so... One of the best parts of coming on something like this is I can sleep uninterrupted for a couple nights, and uh, it's been really, really good. Had a lot of fun last night, and it was great meeting some of you and, and just sharing a little bit about uh, life and playing some ping pong and learning a couple games. Uh, 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 James mentioned about Northern Pines, and we're always looking for uh, some new things for our youth and our not-so-young adults, or not so old adults that want some different things, so I'm going to take that octoball thing back. I love that, and uh, we may see that up in Green Lake, Wisconsin this summer. Uh, Last night, we talked about some of the battles that men have to fight if if we're going to follow Jesus, and if we're going to be successful in our our lives, and in our marriages, and, and, and with our kids, and in our communities. This morning, I would like to talk about fathering. Now, before I get into this, I, I have to I have to make a couple comments. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I've had a, a couple times where speakers came and spoke to me, or spoke to groups about fathering. Wonderful presentation, great content, and their kids were like two and four and six. And I, and I listened to all these wonderful ideas and, and thoughts that they had, and, I, and, I, and yet in the back of my mind, you have not raised teenagers yet. And, and, and there was just something that was there. I've been and I've heard speakers who I would love to watch their families because when they talk about all the things and, and the way they raised their kids and what happened, it seemed too picture perfect from my experience as a dad. 
And so I, I want to just share before we jump into what God's Word has to say, some of the contradictions, just to be candid with you, some of the contradictions I have to live with as a father. Um, for example, I, I wish when my oldest son was born that I knew then what I know now. All right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. But on the other hand, my oldest son brings me a lot of joy. And so I wonder, do I really wish I would have done things differently because I love how my son turned out? And, and I wrestle with that. Uh, um, I've always wanted to be consistent as a parent. But my three boys are really different. And what worked with one didn't work with the next. And, and, and so I, I discipline them differently. I, and, and sometimes my, my oldest son would say, Dad, it's not fair. You let Jake get away with all kinds of stuff I never got, got away with. And, and, and so I want to be fair and I want to be consistent, but it just didn't seem to work. I believe I'm to be a model for my sons, and I want them to love Jesus and walk, walk closely with their God. But to be candid, sometimes, personally, I like reruns better than devotions. Uh, my, my quiet time has always been one of those challenges for me throughout my life. I love to study. I love to read. But to have an intimate, quiet time is hard, and yet I want my kids to have that. But if their dad doesn't have it as successfully as he wants, what, what does that mean? This is a big one for me. I have some really godly friends who I think have done a much better job parenting their kids than I have. And yet their kids, some of them have taken some major detours away from God in their lives. And I don't understand that. If I look at them like, that's how I want to parent. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. And yet... I have three, three sons who are walking with the Lord and they've got a child who isn't and, and it doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, I want my kids to be healthy. I want them to grow up and I want them to see their dad staying in shape and working, but I love Mountain Dew. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's bad. And, and during basketball season every year, I drink way too much of it and I put on weight and, and yet I'm trying to model for my, my sons what I, I think they should be it doesn't always compute. I've tried to be intentional with my sons. To try and do some things that, uh, you know, to talk about whether it be sex or talk about the relationship with God. And almost every time, it seems to be really awkward. Funny story, uh, just to get, illustrate, my uh, dad is a pastor. And one of the things he did with each of us, uh, each of his boys, is when we hit puberty and, and, and started noticing that there were girls and they weren't bad, he took us on a, a camping trip. And being the oldest, I was the guinea pig. And, and this was going to be the Facts of Life camping trip. And my dad gave me a notebook so I could take notes. There was no way I was writing any of that stuff down. And, and, and it was awkward, and it was strange, and yet when my sons turned 13 and 14, we went on a camping trip. No notebooks, no, nothing like that. And we had those conversations, and they were still awkward. What, what seems to happen is the most spontaneous moments with my sons are the sweetest. But I think some of those awkward times have, have set those spontaneous moments up. 
And so I stand here this morning not as a guy who has figured out how to be the perfect father. I stand here not saying I did everything right, but I can stand before you and say I have three sons who love Jesus deeply. I have three sons who have wrestled with all the normal stuff of kids and, and have, have wrestled with doubt and wrestled with relationships, and they have gone through that process and come through trusting Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And, and, and through it, there have been some things I have learned about being a father. And that's what I would like to share with you this morning. Here's how I see God's faithfulness in my sons. I'm a, I'm a basketball coach, you heard, and so part of my life is always having things you can measure. What's your field goal percentage? How many rebounds did you get? And so I tend to think like that in life. What, what's the measurable things? If, if my sons are, are walking with God, how does that show up? Let me just share some of the things. Number one, they, they are concerned about the loss. My oldest son's a youth pastor. My middle son is in ministry. My youngest son um, is going to major in ministry as he goes to college next year. And one of their passions is that kids come to know Jesus. I see God's faithfulness in my sons because they love and respect their mom. They talk kindly and gently to her. Not, they didn't always do that. Believe me, we had our moments. But as I look at them as adults, their relationship with their mom is good. I see God's faithfulness in my sons and that they have had victory in areas where I have always struggled. And God has been faithful in that process and they have moved on from some of the things that have, have bound me up a little bit. I see God's faithfulness in my sons because they still value my opinion. My, my middle son, whenever he's going to preach or speak, he always calls me up and wants to walk through his sermon with me. And I see God's faithfulness in my sons because although they're not perfect, they bring me a lot of joy. And if that's one of the things I have learned as a dad going through life trying to raise my sons is when it becomes about the joy and delight I take in my kids instead of the pride that they bring me, that's when fathering is really good. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I made as a young dad is trying to find pride in my sons. And if things didn't go quite right or things weren't successful, I couldn't enjoy the moment. As they got older, whether they played or they didn't play, whether, whether we had a real fancy vacation or we were just in a tent, whether we won the game or lost the game, whether we were on the road or just sitting in the house, if I could take joy and delight in my son's life, it was good. And so I'd like to share with you today some of the uh, things that I believe God has taught me through Scripture and my experience it was of, as a father. Um, uh, through the Bible and, and some of the principles that are there. Before we do that, you've got to realize there aren't many good fathers in the Bible. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to do a character study on fathering in the, in the Bible and, and find a bunch of good fathers that you could pull all kinds of principles from. I have, and candidly, they're, they're not there. You start with Adam. Adam's oldest son was a murderer, murdered his second son. You, you look at... Uh, uh, Abraham, who wasn't willing to wait, so you got Ishmael, and Ishmael and Isaac have this, this, huge, this, this, this huge conflict that's there. Um, Isaac plays favorites with his sons and, 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 and pits Jacob against Esau. 
Um, Esau loves Joseph and Benjamin more than the rest of his brothers, and that creates conflict. Uh, Samson's parents let him intermarry with the Philistines. You can go on and on and on throughout the Bible, and it's hard to find an example of somebody who did a really good job from Scripture standpoint of fathering. New Testament isn't any better. I think Joseph is an amazing man, and we see him in his relationship with Mary. But as a father, the only account really we have is him leaving Jesus behind and traveling a day without realizing his son wasn't with him. And we don't hear anything else about him. Now, I, I have a feeling Joseph was, was, a, was a good and kind and loving father, but we just don't hear about him. Mother of James and John, she's a busybody, and, and, and the dad's completely absent. We never see him anywhere. Timothy's dad is completely absent in his life. There aren't very many, many pictures in God's Word of, of, of what a good father looks like, so we have have to look someplace else. Let me uh, make just a couple other observations as, as we go through here before we get into what God's Word does say to parents. One of the things um, that I have learned and, and has become very, very important to my wife and I is that God entrusts our children to us. But as their dad probably one of the biggest idols I have to fight and I fought all my life is or were my sons. And I think this is something the church, we don't talk a lot about. We talk about idols of money and we talk about idols of possessions and we talk about idols of activities or other things that are important to us. And the reality is in the church, I would suggest that the most common idol we all have and sometimes even are a little proud of are our kids. And that was a realization I had to come to as dad. That often my kids were somehow moving out of their realm of importance. And let me again just share a list of some ways in which I saw this happening in my life. My children were becoming way more important than other children. As long as it was good for my kids, I was not so concerned about what was going on elsewhere. And my kids were starting to become an idol. My, uh, my son's activities started to control my life instead of I controlling their activities. And it became easy to miss small group, and it became easy to miss morning worship, and it became easy to get all involved in all these things because my sons were becoming too important. I would forget my call to holiness. We just sang about holiness. And I would forget my call to holiness when I was dealing with authority figures in my son's life. If a teacher said or did something wrong, if a coach, heaven forbid, didn't treat my son the right way, it was really easy for me to forget how I was supposed to treat people and how I was supposed to interact with them and how I was supposed to reflect Jesus to them. I uh, became more concerned sometimes about my son's happiness than my son's holiness. I wanted my kids to be happy. I wanted them to have fun. And I forgot that sometimes God takes them through dark places. Sometimes God allows them to experience adversity in ways because He is sharpening and growing them the same way He is me. 
but I wanted my kids to be happy, so I tried to keep them out of some of those situations. I started owning my kids instead of giving them to God. And, and as I went through this process and God began to reveal some of these things to me, there, there had to be a time of letting go, of saying, God, they're yours. Wherever you go, wherever they go, whatever they do. My oldest son went through a time of doubt that was tremendous. It was hard. My middle son struggled with depression in a deep, dark, dark way. And during those times, there had to be this consistent, God, they're yours. I trust you. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know where we're going with this. But God, I trust you. You're faithful. I believe you're going to see them through it. And I stand here before you to tell you God has been good in both the big things and the little things. I'm, I'm a coach. And one of the things I learned a long time ago from a from a mentor of mine, is that if you're going to coach, you can't emphasize too many things. Matter of fact, he said, the most you can ever emphasize are three things. If you try to emphasize more than three things with your team, they're not going to do any of them well. And of course, being a young coach, I thought, oh, that's not right. I can do a lot more than that. I can, I can emphasize five or six or seven. I've gone through life, I've realized that's a very wise man who was telling me that. Now it's interesting, when I went to God's world, I, I, I'm the same way when it comes to Bible study. God, I, I need things to be simple, I need them to be clear, I, I need to know what to do. It was interesting to me, when we were doing some things with parenting and trying to figure out how to be good fathers and mothers with our kids, uh, I went through God's word, I said, okay God, I'm going to do a study, I'm going to look at all the things you tell parents to do. And I'm going to try and do them all. The good news was when I went through everything I found, all the scriptures, all the verses, basically boiled down to three things fathers were supposed to do. And so what I'd like to do with this long introduction is, is simply look at what God's Word tells us as fathers. Three things we're to do with our kids. And see if that doesn't resonate with us. See if that doesn't simplify some things. We're not told that we have to, to form this final product. We're not told that we're responsible for however our kids are, are going to eventually be. But there are three areas that we need to be faithful in. The first, the first thing that uh, God's Word tells us as fathers is that we are to discipline our children. I'll just read a couple of verses to you. Proverbs 19.18 Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 29.17 says it this way, Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. There's other verses about discipline in God's Word, but those two verses captured me because they painted two ends. If I do not discipline my sons, I'm being a party to their death. That somehow the destruction, the hurt, the pain that they're going to go through in life is directly attributed to my lack of discipline. On the other side, if I discipline my sons, there's hope and they will bring delight to me. 
Now, what does it mean to discipline? Again, this is one of those things that uh, as a coach, uh, God used what I do in my, in, my, in my normal life to open up His Word to me. Um, we think of discipline as being punishment. And I would say, yes, sometimes punishment is discipline. But often it's not. Here's the definition that changed my perspective on what discipline really is. Discipline is putting someone in a controlled, stressful situation so they can learn how to respond correctly. Putting someone in a controlled, stressful situation so they learn how to respond correctly. This is what I do all the time in basketball. I want a player to be able to make a free throw in the last five seconds of the game. And so over and over and over again, I have to create a stressful situation that mimics the stress of that game and have them shoot a free throw in that situation. I need to discipline my players so that if an opponent throws a cheap elbow in the last two minutes of the game, they do not retaliate and get a technical foul that would cost us the rest of the game. And so in practice, in life, I have to create a stressful situation and put them in over and over and over again so they learn to control their emotions and their actions. And that may have little or nothing to do with punishment. We, uh, we uh, had a player when I played in college, nicest kid in the world. And we were playing a team that uh, uh, was a fairly dirty team. They had this reputation. And he was a freshman, and we knew he wasn't going to be ready for it. And uh, my coach came to two or three of us who were seniors before practice, and they said, hey, he said, listen, here's what you're going to do today in practice. Anytime Steve comes through the lane, you got to pop him. Anytime you're around, give him a shove, foul him. I'm not going to call a foul on you all day in practice. We've got to prepare him because that's how the game's going to be tomorrow. We're on the road. They're not going to call the fouls. They're going to hit him. They're going to try and get in his head. And so as a senior, it was kind of a fun practice. You got to pick on the freshman. And by the end of practice, that kid was ready to tear somebody's head off. But it disciplined him to play through adversity, to play through anger, to play through bad calls. It prepared him for the situation he was going to be in. And I believe that's what we are called to do as parents. Here are some of the areas that I have felt in raising my sons I need to discipline them in. I needed to discipline my sons to follow through on their word even when it was inconvenient. That when they said they were going to do something and something better came up, did you give your word? Yes. Then what do you need to do? But, but Dad... Did you give your word? I, I, I needed to discipline my sons to control their emotions and passions when they were with a girl. I, as a father, I, I needed to help my sons and to discipline my sons to make good decisions under pressure. You see, we all make good decisions when there's no pressure around. You know, it's interesting in, in doing leadership stuff. I was a high school teacher, and you'd always give these decision-making scenarios to kids in, in a leadership meeting. And they would sit at a table and talk about it, and they always came up with the right answer. 
And those same kids would go out that weekend and do something dumb when they were with their friends because now the pressure's on. And so I needed my sons to be in some pressure situations. I needed my sons to be in, in situations where it was not easy. They had to make a decision quickly. And to make right decisions in those moments. I need to discipline my sons to control their temper when they are angry. Notice I didn't say I, didn't need, I, I don't discipline my sons to not be angry. Anger is a legitimate emotion. It happens. And sometimes it catches us by surprise. But one of the things we've talked about a lot is the verse that says, in your anger, do not sin. And the only way we get there is through discipline. One of the things I worked hard with my sons is I needed to discipline them to communicate well and appropriately. Ephesians 5 4 says this, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Here's a phrase that uh, has been very important to me. It's one, if you do take notes, I, I would suggest maybe writing down. But this has been something that we have worked hard at. And actually in the basketball team um, that I coach, I share this challenge with them every year, and we work at it even as a team. I need to discipline them. I want them to be able to communicate anger without cursing, truth without sarcasm, and humor without crudity. I want my sons, I want my players to be able to communicate anger without cursing, truth without sarcasm, and humor without crudity. I want them to be funny. I want them to laugh. But I want them to laugh at the right things. I want them to be able to speak to their wife someday. I want them to be able to speak to a friend someday truthfully without having to resort to sarcasm to hide behind. And I want them to be able to handle their anger and not sin. And an easy way to practice that is the language that they use. And so, I believe as fathers, the first things we need to do, and notice, I'm not talking about punishment. I, I think there's a place for it. But I'm talking more a consistent pattern of disciplining our sons. Just like I would as a coach. You're going to do things over and over and over again. You're going to practice things over and over and over again. I'm going to create situations in practice and we're going to walk through it. Because there's things about life that you need to practice while you're still a child. So that when you're an adult, you live life the right way. And you can live a holy life bringing honor to your Lord and Savior. And so as a dad, the first thing that I find in God's Word throughout Scripture is I'm to discipline my son. I'm to discipline my children and help them grow in this area. The second thing I believe God's Word teaches us is that we're to teach our children. And, and it, might sound, it sounds like you were just teaching just a second ago. No. The difference for me there is I am actually having them go through scenarios. I'm having them practice and developing the self discipline necessary to respond correctly in situations. Teaching, to me, goes deeper. We're all familiar with Deuteronomy 6, 6-9. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. 
when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. There'll be frontlets between your eyes. You will write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Proverbs 1.8 Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 22.6 Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Teaching is not easy. And again, I, I don't know about you, I've tried the family devotions and they always felt contrived to me. Um, I've, I've tried different things that, that, that we tried to do with teaching our kids. But at the end of the day, those genuine moments with our kids is where the best teaching went on in our house. Over Sunday meal when we would talk about a sermon, over Wednesday night, late night nachos, my boys uh, worked in the youth group with my wife and I, and so after youth group every Wednesday when everything was torn down, we'd always go back, we'd fix some kind of snack, and we'd sit around in the kitchen and we would just talk about what happened in their small group and what happened that night, and there were these sweet, sweet moments and often genuine teaching took place. Dads, I want to share a, a thought with you. In the Old Testament, there's a story, you find it in 2 Kings 22, about this young king, Josiah. And, and to really simplify it, there's this long period of time, and, and Josiah wants to find out where the books, where, you know, they're going to clean out the temple. And while they clean out the temple, they, they come across the books of the law that have been lost for years. For over 20 years, God's law was lost. And as I read that story, as I think about it, as I look at the young men who have come into my basketball program and the kids we work with in youth group, I would suggest that in our houses today, there are a lot of homes where God's Word has been lost. where children have never seen their dads open the Bible except in a pew at church. Where conversation and, and life dreams and plans never take place in the context of what does God's Word say and how does God's Word apply. And we are in a world where there's so much information and there's so much data being thrown at our kids through internet and TV and media and iPods and school and everything else that we're in the danger of, in the midst of all that, God's Word is lost. And as a fellow dad, I would challenge the men here today, do not let your homes be a place where God's Word is lost. But have it be a place where you teach it whether formally or informally, but when you talk about your family finances, do you talk about what God's Word says about money and tithing and giving to the poor? When you talk about future plans, what you're going to do, where you're going to go, is it just the pros and cons or are you seeking God's will for the lives of your family and your children? When you wrestle with a decision, should we do this, should we do that, does God's Word come into play or is it only something that shows up on Sunday morning when they're in Sunday school, in youth group, or in the pew in a worship service? Do not let God's Word be lost in your home. But let it be a place where you teach. 
Here are some things, again, and I'm going to speak specifically about having sons. Here are some things God laid on my heart through His Word that I needed to teach my sons that this is actually what God's Word says. And one of the things I always looked for is how can I teach to the positive? I don't want to teach don't steal, don't lie, and give my kids a bunch of uh, don'ts. What are the things that God said to me as a dad? These are the things you need to teach your sons. I need to teach my sons to be courageous. The most common commandment in the Bible is do not be afraid. So I need to teach my sons to be courageous men, to risk, to go into situations where they have to trust in God. I need to teach my sons to be powerful. Not to be weak, not to be passive but to be fierce men of God. I need to teach my sons to obey authority. And that's an interesting balance. How can you be strong and how can you be powerful and how can you still obey authority? I need to teach my sons to respect women. I need to teach my sons to be gentle. I need to teach my sons to be responsible. Those were the things that God laid on on my heart. And so in God's Word, how how do we go about teaching these things? That was the ongoing dialogue and discussion for me. Now, I have not raised daughters. Um, I coached girls for a long time. We were a youth pastor. This is not a comprehensive list, but if you have daughters, men. Let me just throw a few suggestions out about some things I think our fathers need to teach our daughters. I think fathers need to teach daughters that they have great worth. They're worth fighting for. They're worth protecting. They they have this extraordinary worth that they bring that worth that brings a delight to their father's eye, that they are competent, that they can accomplish things. I believe wholeheartedly the Bible teaches that we're to teach our daughters that they are beautiful, that there is an inner beauty, and that there is something that that, uh, is there that transcends that, that, that transcends just what is seen. I, I believe we need to teach our daughters to be courageous. And also, after years of being a youth pastor, I think you need to t- teach your daughters to be picky in who they date. Because it saves a lifetime of, of hurt. There's a lot of moms here. I know speaking, this is a men's weekend. One of the things that I really believe is that dads and moms teach their kids different things. And uh, I don't want to take our time because we're almost out. But I, I, would, I would encourage all of you to go to God and say, okay, God, you've entrusted these sons and daughters to me and to my spouse. What is it that you want me to teach them? And in that process, God will use you powerfully in your kids' lives. So we're first to discipline our kids. Second, we're to teach our kids And the only other thing I could find in Scripture, the only other category, is a negative. Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke or exasperate your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The King James says the nurture and admonition. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke or embitter your children, lest they become discouraged. When I looked all through Scripture and tried to find God, what am I supposed to do with my children? Dean, discipline them, teach them, 
and do not provoke or exasperate them. I had to take a step back at that. How, how do I exasperate my kids? Here's, here's a list of some of my mistakes along the way. When I would punish them because I didn't instruct properly or I was impatient in the process. I think I exasperated my kids when I would withhold affection as a means of punishment. I think I exasperated my kids when I was overprotective and didn't give them the freedom to be boys and trust them. I know I exasperated my kids sometimes or provoked them when I disciplined, not because of what they did, but because I was embarrassed. I exasperated my sons when I used sarcasm and discipline or punishment. I think I exasperated my sons when I tried to raise them up in the way I thought they should go, not in the way they should go. And to me, this was a really heavy thing because I wanted God to give me, okay, here's the method, and if you do this, 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 and this, your kids are going to turn out perfect. And that's not what I found. What I felt God saying to me is, Dean, you need to discipline your kids, you need to teach your kids, but do not provoke or exasperate them. And I had to look at a lot of things I did as a young dad and even as an older dad and realize this is driving my kids crazy. This is frustrating my son. Those jokes I think are funny in front of their friends, they're probably a little exasperating. And so I had to get back and, and look at the other side of it, and that is this word nurturing. Um, I want to share something that's not from, not from God's Word, but was interesting because I, I think it fits with what we see there. Um, I was at a conference, they talked about what really mattered in kids who were healthy and kids who avoided high-risk situations. And the word they used was nurture, actually, having this strong sense of connection. Where kids felt nurture, that meant their parents cared about them, uh, that they did things together. Number one thing that they had in healthy kids was that there was shared activities, and they got really specific. If the kid could point to ten things in the last four weeks that they did with their parents, they tended to be healthy kids. And if you want a real easy statistic, if you're a stat guy and you want to measure, can you look back over the last month and point to 10 things you did as a family? If so, I would suggest you're nurturing your kids. And if you can't look at that calendar and find 10 things you did together, you might be provoking or exasperating your kids a little bit. One of the things in that uh, that came up was the importance of family vacations. That's why I love Northern Pines. If you talk to people here who have been there, there's something about your family planning and packing together and jumping in the car and the anticipation and being at a vacation where you can hear God's Word, where you worship where your kids develop mentors and relationships and you all come back together and you talk about what happened and you look forward to the next year that builds this nurture in a family that I, I can't find anywhere else. 
We moved from Minnesota to Chicago, Chicago to Kansas, and the one thing that my kids point to that was a constant in all their lives was our family experiences going to Northern Pines. We nurtured our kids that way. And the other thing they talked about in nurture was parental presence. That there were four key times during the day when kids get up, when they come home, at dinner, and when they go to bed. And if there was parental presence in those four times, kids felt nurtured and they tended to be healthy and successful. And if there were only three, the statistics went down. If there were only two, it went down further. If it was one or zero, the risk, the, the risk for your kids getting in trouble and doing high-risk behaviors became very high. And so if you want another specific stat, dads, when your sons get up, are you there? When they come home from school, is somebody there? When you have dinner, are you there? When they go to bed, are you there? If so, you're nurturing. You're not exasperating. And that's what God asks us to do. To wrap up, I have one more parenting commandment, and this is what I believe wholeheartedly. I think the most important fathering commandment in all the Scripture is this. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. My kids need to see that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. They need to see it play out in real life. They, they need to see me love their mom. They need to see me have compassion on people who are hurting. More than anything else, that's what's going to make a difference in my, my family's life. You see, I don't even have to always be there in those key moments. You know, I listed a lot of negative fathers in Scripture. There is one that stood out to me. We don't know a whole lot about him. His name is Elkanah. We know Elkanah's wife better than we do him. Her name is Hannah, and she was the mother of Samuel. But here are the things we know about Elkanah. We know that he was faithful, that when they made a vow, when he said something to his wife, he followed through. We know that he loved his wife. We know that he was a regular in the house of God and he fulfilled his vows to God no matter what they were. And we know that he gave his son to God. At age two or three, he and his wife brought Samuel to the temple. And this wasn't a perfect place. If you read about this, Eli, the priest at the time, his sons were doing all kinds of bad stuff. They were, they were sleeping with women right at the gates of the temple. They, they were treating, the, the phrase was, they were treating the sacrifices with contempt. It wasn't perfect, but, God, but Elkanah had made a vow to God. and He said, God, here's my son. And every year they returned. And he trusted God with his son. I stand before you today as an imperfect dad who's made many mistakes, but I've also seen God's faithfulness in the life of my sons. And as I work to discipline them and teach them and try not to provoke them, but most of all, model for them a man who walks with God, who loves Jesus, who tries to be faithful. I can tell you today that God has been faithful in the lives of my and I believe in the future he will continue to do so. 
I, I coach a lot of guys who don't have dads. And some of you out here are grandpas, some are uncles. One of the things I firmly believe is that these teachings to fathers, they're not just to fathers. But in our, our society today, we have a lot of young men who definitely need a father figure who can represent what a heavenly father is. And so I hope today you hear from God's Word. I hope today you, you learn a little bit from my experience and take on the challenge of raising godly young men and women, sons and daughters who love Jesus and follow Him. Because at the end of the day, for me and everything else I do, I believe that's my greatest calling in life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the fathers here this morning. I pray that Your Word uh, would, would sit and resonate. I pray that we would all understand that uh, uh, each day is a new day and we have a chance to discipline and a chance to teach. And Even if we've struggled in the past, You are faithful. That, that Josiah, even though he didn't have God's Word, uh, followed Him. But when he found it, life got so much better and deeper. Lord, I pray that Your Word would not be absent in our homes. It would not be lost, but that we would teach it. Lord, I pray that You would give us grace in the awkward moments. I pray that You would give us the blessing of those sweet moments when we can talk and share with our kids and help us raise another generation of men and women who love You and follow You. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.